So for those of you guys who don't know, I have three kids. And when you have kids, you really don't need outside entertainment anymore. Like something has happened in your life that you will have the entertainment that you need for the most part. And so my dad was over last Thursday and we were all hanging out on the couch just watching our kids. They were doing like charades on steroids and just going for it. And so they were superheroes and princesses and superheroes killing princesses and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And so then Cade, my eight-year-old, runs into the room and he's just kind of jogging in place. And he, and he says, the next thing we're going to do is not a charade. We're just going to do something. And I was like, this could be very bad and very dangerous. And so he's running in place. And he starts to say, oh, man, it's a beautiful day. I'm so glad no one's going to hit me in the head with anything. And with those words coming out of his mouth, my four-year-old, like with divine speed, superhero speed, came from the other room, ran, jumped, and hit him in the head with a pizza box. Like just like took him out hit him in the head. It was unbelievable. And so we're all laughing, and it just happened so quick, I couldn't believe it. And so the next thing I know, Cade's jogging again. He's like, ah, it's a beautiful day. I'm so glad I'm not going to get hit in the head with anything. Next thing I know, Landon comes running in with a metal, uh, uh, a metal uh, broom. And, uh, and, and Cade didn't know it was coming. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm, Landon, no! And we all screamed, and Landon's like, what's the matter? And Cade's like, ah! You know, so it's this whole, like, crazy thing. He thought the pizza box went over, well, he's going to take it up a few notches, you know? But that is really what we've been talking about for the last few weeks here at Collision, is the fact that we are kind of like my son Cade, standing there, thinking life's kind of good, everything's all right, and behind us is coming an attack, is coming something we didn't expect, we weren't ready for, we weren't looking for. And basically what we've been saying is that you and I go through life and things are feeling all right and maybe it's a good day, maybe it's a bad day, but, but there are things then that come at us. There are thoughts that come at us about the truth. Is there truth? Can we know God? Did all this stuff happen? Did, did Jesus really die for us, right? Doubts come. And, and sometimes there are other thoughts that come into our mind like, Maybe God doesn't want me, or maybe I'm never going to change, or maybe I'll, I'll never really know what it is to walk close in a relationship with him. And, and so all these thoughts start to hit us, and, and then temptations come, and there's these, these feels like battles going on in our lives, and the problem with us is we're kind of like Cade, we're, we're kind of clueless to the fact that we are under attack. Now, who are we under attack from? Well, what we've been saying, and what Paul says in the Bible is that what we got to do is kind of look behind the curtain, okay? We kind of just say, oh, man, this was a bad day, and this this happened, and that happened, and I've had these thoughts, and I've had these doubts, and I've had these fears, and I've been just, I don't know, I haven't been myself, and my relationship with God feels weird, but but I don't know what's going on. Oh, well. And Paul goes, no, 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 don't just say, oh, well. You got to look behind the curtain, because behind the curtain, you will find that Satan is attacking, that there's a source to those whispers, Okay, now if you're not a Christian, I 100% get your skepticism and your, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's just said that. I understand that. I get that. But what we've been saying throughout the series is if you, if you have to be convinced of Satan, if you have to be convinced of the devil, really what you got to do is just look to human history and begin to see that people do things that go beyond what I think a person is capable of. You know, you start to talk tragedy. You start to talk about what one nation can do to another or one person can do to another. Or, and, and you begin to see like an evil that's beyond sort of the sin nature in each and every one of us. And so we've been saying that, that Satan is real, that he does attack, he does try to mess up our faith and our relationship with God. And he, he tries to trip us up and tempt us and really just really destroy 
any chance we have at a true relationship with God. Now, if you're skeptical about that, I get that. I would just say, hang with me, stay with me, let's talk tonight, let's see what this is all about. But what we've been trying to do is say, not just that there's this attack and okay, let's all freak out now and be scared, but what we've been saying is, is we gotta know how to defend ourselves. We gotta know how to be able to see these things come and then be able to say, okay, here's what I do now, right? Not just be clueless and just keep getting hit and keep getting beat up, but actually be able to say, okay, I know what to do and I know how to move forward and I know how to not get my faith completely destroyed or my relationship with God completely destroyed because this is what's going on in my life. And so how do we do that? What we said is, what Paul said is, it's kind of like we're going to war. It's kind of like a soldier back in his day, they would have put armor on if they were going to war. If there was an attack coming their way and they knew about it, they would put armor on. Because when they put that armor on, they would be protected from the attack. And so Paul is chained probably to a soldier. Now I realize this is like knight status, like old school, but a soldier who was wearing armor, okay? And so he's sitting there and he's writing this book to his friends in Ephesus. And as he's writing, he's looking at this guy he's chained to and he's thinking to himself, man, in the same way that like a soldier is ready for war, he's ready for the attack and he's got the appropriate armor on, we gotta have the right stuff on. Not physically, but we gotta, like, we gotta be surrounded and held together by truth. You see, that's what we talked about last week. If you missed last week, I would, I would really ask you to check out that podcast because truth is completely under assault in our culture and our day and age. And if you're wondering, man, can I know truth about God? Can I know truth about me? I would encourage you to check that podcast out. But tonight I want to take it a step further than that because we dealt with truth last week. And we learned how to really be able to take the truth and then use it as a weapon. Because that's what this is all about. The armor of God, the things that Paul tells us to really grab a hold of. He doesn't just want us to like know these things. He wants us to then take them and use them as weapons. When Satan comes and he whispers in our ear, we know how to fight back. We know how to defend ourselves and not get knocked down. So tonight I want to talk with you guys about this, this next piece of armor. It sounds like it should be in Lord of the Rings or something. It's called the breastplate of righteousness. You know, it's just so epic and powerful. But basically, the reason we need to talk about the breastplate of righteousness is because you and I, and even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might be an atheist, agnostic, whatever, you, all of us are in the same boat. And here's how we're in the same boat. We all, at one point or another, hear, and not literal voices, but we hear the thought run through our mind, God couldn't want you. You've done too much. You've ruled yourself out. You've done enough wrong to finally just take him off to the point he really doesn't want to hear from you anymore. I mean, I'm a Christian in a long time. I'm a pastor. I, I can still hear those things. In fact, a few weeks back, I'm walking through Home Depot which I think is a pretty godly place, you know. I mean, there's lots of cool stuff around, you know. I mean, and so I'm walking through Home Depot, and as I'm walking there, all of a sudden this thought hits me. Something I did when I was in college, like 18 years, 18 years old. You know, I'm 34. And something I did, something sinful, something that I regret, something I wish I'd never done hit me. And I'm just walking through stinking Home Depot looking at tools, and all of a sudden it's like, I'm a tool. You know, like, 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 what, you know, like what an idiot. Like, why, why did I do that? You know, why did I go that way? Why did I decide that that should be a good choice in that moment? And I was so, 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 like, just suddenly gone. I wasn't me. I wasn't, like, Doug anymore. I was 18, and I was struggling, and I was wishing I'd never gone that way. You know, it happens to you, doesn't it? You're just walking through life. And again, you might have a relationship with Jesus, 
You might not at all, but you just, suddenly it's a thought. Suddenly it's something that comes at you and it's so simple and it's so subtle, but man, it screws you up. You know, I think what happens is sometimes there's a few different ways this kind of plays out. Sometimes it messes us up to the point where we're thinking about that thing that regret, we regret so much that this is really strange, but I think we've all been there. We actually go back to it, right? It's like, it's like our righteousness or our rightness with God is so under attack that we're reminded of what we did that time. And it's kind of like almost, man, I, I did that. I'm thinking about how I did that. And because of it, I might as well just go back to it. And we find ourselves back in a place we wish we weren't. And, and we end up making a more destructive decision in our life. For some of us, we just tend to kind of run from God at this time because he can't want us. Or maybe we kind of don't really want him at that point because he's just going to remind us that what we did was wrong. And so Satan whispers in our ear these little things and, and he gets us basically tripping up, wondering if God really could still love us, could really still want us, if we could be, be right with him. And, and furthermore, if we could ever live the way God wants us to, that, that we'd ever be able to live how God desires, right? It's that same old thing we hear, you'll never change. You'll never be different. This is going to be something you struggle with your whole life. And so I think whether you're a Christian or not, these are things that we hear. Now, if you're a Christian, some of you guys know the answer to what I'm, I'm, I'm presenting here as kind of the problem. Some of you guys know, like, wait a minute, I, I know where Doug's going to head with this, but, but here's, I think, our struggle as Christians who know this. The problem is that we know this, but that's usually where it ends. It doesn't then become a weapon that we can use to stop the enemy from continuing to take us down that road. I mean, I even think to me in Home Depot a few weeks ago, I don't remember that I kind of used the truth as a weapon to stop that in its tracks and not continue to head down that road of regret and remorse and feeling dirty and like, how could I have done that? And so, so what do we do in those moments? What does it look like to really walk this thing out? So what I want to do is, talk about this breastplate of righteousness and talk about how it helps. Like, like, how do you use it? What's that all about? Again, don't get hung up on the terms, you know, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. What Paul's saying is, this is something you need and it needs to be on you and around you and you need to know this, but then you need to use this because when you use the truth about you, the truth about your rightness before God, the truth about your righteousness, then something powerful happens. And so, all this talk of righteousness. See, see, righteousness just really is your rightness before God. You know, it's kind of like a fancy word, but, but really all it boils down to is you being in a right relationship with God, and that's what Satan is constantly attacking. You're not in a right relationship with him. Because of what you did, you're too far gone. You'll never change. You'll keep going down this road. And so what we need to do is know the truth about us so that we can use it as a weapon. So what's the truth about us? Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 17 says this, Therefore, Paul's writing this, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. So here's what Satan does. He whispers in your ear, you're the same old you. Doug, you're the same old you you were when you were 18 and you made that decision. It's just you. You know, you, you, I know, you, yeah, okay, you, you've grown up and maybe you've matured a little bit here and there, but I'll tell you, Doug, it's the same old you the one who made that mistake, the one who may make it again, the one who thinks about it 
to the point where you feel bad about it, dirty, unclean, unrighteous, unright with God. And what we need to begin to do is go, wait a minute, but, but I'm not the same old me. I'm not the same old me. I, I'm, I'm a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. There's, there's a new me. Like you've heard me talk about before, that was version 1.0. This is version 2.0. There's a, there's a new me. Now, what this doesn't mean is that version 2.0 is a perfect person, right? I've sinned once or twice since I've been a Christian, okay, right? Uh, we still struggle. We still sin, all of us, daily, right? Sometimes it feels like moment by moment, right? Sometimes you feel like you're getting better at sinning, right? Because we struggle. But you know what? The lie is that will never change. And the lie is because of our performance, we're not right with God. And so what we need to begin to do is say, no, 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 wait. When we hear those things, when we hear those whispers, when they come at us, we begin to say, wait, 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 but that was me, but I'm not him anymore. I'm not her anymore. And I am right before God. And we're going to get deeper into that. And so then he says this, all this is from God. All this is from God. See, some of us thought that the answer to the problem of our not being right with God is that we do better. We try harder. If you're not a Christian, especially, you thought Christians are all about trying harder and doing better. And when you do better, then God likes you. And when you do bad again, God doesn't like you. And that your rightness or your righteousness before God goes up and down and up and down and up and down. And sometimes you are right and sometimes you're not right and sometimes you're righteous and sometimes you're unrighteous. And, and in reality, are, are you seeing what the, that says on the screen? It says all this is from God. Like what he's saying is the new creation, the old being gone, the new coming, that's all from God. Like did you think it was you? That's incredible news. You Christians in the room, that's incredible news. If you thought that your righteousness was there one day and gone the next and there the next day and gone that one. And I mean, this is incredible news. No, no, see, all this is from God. This newness isn't about your performance. Now, I'm not saying we use that as an excuse and just do whatever we want, right? This is kind of the tension. This is like a very simple and a very, very complex thing to talk about because we got to kind of walk through this the right way or we start to use these things to do what we want and justify what we want to do. And that's not what I'm trying to do. But what I want you to know is that you can't make yourself righteous. And so therefore, you are not the one to determine, well, today I'm righteous and yesterday I wasn't. And hopefully tomorrow I will be again. Now see, this is a gift from God. Every ounce of your rightness with him is a gift from him. It's on his shoulders. He's the one that purchased it for you. And we're going to talk about what that looks like soon. But look at this. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Now that's kind of like church talk and we're like, all right, he reconciled us, whatever. Look at what that word means in the original language. It's, it's the exchange of hostility for a friendly relationship. So basically, God took you from being hostile with him and made friends with you. Now, here's what I want you to know that's so important about that. This is what did not happen. You did not say, all right, 
I'm, I'm going to get my people, and God's going to get his people, and we're going to kind of come together, and we're going to sit at the table together, and we're going to talk this thing out. We're going to work everything out, and I'll tell him that if he lets me kind of just, you know, get by with some cursing and some drinking, then I'll work on the pride and the jealousy, and, and we'll kind of like come to an agreement, a contract, and a, you know, see, the whole thing is this is a one-sided reconciliation. You never came to the table. You, you, you never were looking to be made God's friend. You and I, we were always looking to be the enemy of God. We were always looking to do things our way. And so God decides anyway, I want him. I want her. I I don't want this hostility. I don't want this this way. I want friendship with them. And so he pursued you when you didn't want him to make you right with him. Are you seeing how, how out of the way we have to take ourselves in this equation? You know, if, if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus because you think you're good enough, I hope tonight you're seeing this isn't about being good enough. This is about you really not in the equation until the grace of God comes chasing you when you don't want it. Have you ever, have you ever pursued someone who, who didn't want to be pursued by you? You're like, yeah, it's called stalking. Oh, <laughs> My, my daughter does this to my, my son all the time. My daughter, she's got her Barbies, and, and she wants to play. She got the Barbie dream house from Grandma and, and Papa for Christmas. Thank you so much. Um, and takes up, like, half the house. And uh, I'm like, can I move in there? Can I just have a room? Like, is that all right? And, and so she's got her Barbies, and she's chasing my son, Landon. And, and Landon is not having Landon is not going to play Barbies, okay? That's right. You know, he's not going to play Barbies. And, and the only way she might get him is if he can have, like, Iron Man and Thor in one hand and Ken in the other, and Iron Man and Thor can decapitate Ken or something like that. Like, that's the only possible way maybe this will happen. But usually what happens, that lasts for about 30 seconds. Ken loses his head, and then Landon's running, and Bernie's after him, and she's running, come on, let's play. And she's got the Barbies, and he's, wah, he's freaking out, and he will punch, and he will kick. Lock himself, he locked himself in the room again last week. You know, like I told you guys a few years ago, he locks himself in the room. I'm like, buddy, you have to turn the lock. We had lost the key. Turn the lock, turn the, I can't, there's butter on it. I'm like, slippery? Okay, slippery, all right. So, you know, a little kid language, you know. And so, yes, I put butter on the locks. That's right, son, yes. Good job, gotcha, you know. But so he's stuck in the room, can't get out, right? And Bryn is pursuing and pursuing, and Landon doesn't want to be pursued. Guys, that's us, that's you and I. God's pursuing and pursuing, and we don't want to be pursued, and, and he's wanting to reconcile, and he's wanting to make us right and make us righteous, and we're just kind of fighting and fighting and fighting. But all this is from him. And then he goes on a little bit further, and he, he helps us realize something, that when you realize that you're right with God, something's supposed to click in your head, and something's supposed to start happening. Because look what he says. He says, he didn't just reconcile us, but then look at this. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world himself to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So he's going, look, once you get that you're reconciled to God, that you shouldn't be his friend, but you are, something's supposed to change in your thinking. And now when you go, wait, I'm righteous before God, I'm right. Before God, me and him are friends. We're not enemies anymore. He doesn't, he's not looking to pour out wrath or judgment or anger. I'm his. Something's supposed to change in our minds and it's supposed to start looking around us. It's supposed to start looking at our neighbors and our family members and our coworkers and the kids we go to school with and our parents and our children and we're supposed to start 
reconciling them to God and saying, do you know God wants to make things right with you? Do you know God loves you? Do you know that he wants to pursue you? Maybe you don't want to be pursued, but, but did you know he is pursuing you? And he goes on and he says, and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So Paul's going, look, I get that I'm right with God. And I'm not right with God because I'm right with God, like I did it. I'm right with God because he made me right with him. And now my job is to go tell others that they can be right with him too. But how's all this possible? How's all this possible? And I just wish, I know it's not gonna happen. I mean, I shouldn't say that. God, let it happen. Usually, when we read a verse like we're about to read, what should make us weep in humility and joy, like a joyful humility and, and, and amazement kind of bounces off us. But maybe God will do something cool tonight and, and we'll, we'll weep tonight. Maybe the weight of what I'm about to read will actually hit us and we'll see what it took to make you and I right. You see, most of you, you think you know the answer to what I'm about to say, but I'll tell you, we don't get this. So let's try and get this. Why are you right? Why is the old gone and the new has come? Why can we reconcile the world to God? Look at this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, if you are you know, opening up your Bible app in the morning, that's like the verse of the day. You read that, you're like, sweet, that's awesome, man. That was so encouraging. That's great. And go through my day. I'm gonna be encouraged now. And then you just kind of move on. And I would too but let's not do that. Let's stop and let's, let's see some amazing truths in here. Some things that should, should make the second worship set go through the roof. See, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, so Jesus was perfect. And look what it says, to be sin for us. Not to pay for sin, although he did. Not to tell us that he would end the power of sin in our lives, even though he did. But, but Paul's trying to get something incredible across to us. I don't know we'll get this on this side of heaven, but, but what he's saying is, look, it's not just that Jesus took away your sin, but he actually became it. He actually became it. The perfect one, the pure one, actually became it. And theologians are just trying to wrap their heads around it, just like I am. And so here's some things that I kind of found, and, and what does this even mean that he became Sin. First, God treated Jesus as if he were a sinner. That's one aspect to him becoming sin. So like, you know, before I talked about how all these terrible things people do in the world and and all you gotta do is watch the news to believe that people can do horrible things and maybe there's something behind that. Well, just think about this. Every rape, every murder, every uh, abomination that, you know, rulers have done to other nations and people groups, everything done to the Jews. I mean, all of that. All of that, what should have been taken out on Hitler, what should have been taken out on that kid who did what he did in Connecticut last week, what, what should, or, you know, last month, what, what should have been taken out on everyone who's ever sinned, you and I included, God looked at Jesus and counted him guilty for all of that. Do you, you know that carries over to your sin and my sin too? Like when you and I feel unrighteous and we don't feel right with God, 
we got to come back to the truth that the thing we just did, be it the porn you just looked at, the drink you just took in, the, 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 the hit you just took, the thought that just ran through your head and you just let that thing play out, the anger, the jealousy, the, all of that, God looked at his son and made him guilty for that and took out what you and I deserved right there in that moment. What else does it mean that Jesus became sin? He, he became a sin offering. If you ever read the beginning of the Bible, the first half of the Bible, like Moses is walking through the desert and somebody does something stupid and they got to kill a bunch of animals, right? Abraham, same thing, and David and Solomon, all these people always killing animals, and it's like, what the heck? You know what's going on here? You ever notice we don't do that anymore, right? Isn't that amazing? Probably wouldn't have been a pastor if that's, you know, like, we'd just be like, okay, I'm gonna go be a light guy. You guys can keep on slaughtering animals. You know, I mean, just like, what the heck? But, but do you ever notice that we don't do that anymore, and that's because Jesus became the sin offering to end all sin offerings, right? Like, like that's not necessary anymore, and, and did you ever think about this? If you're not a follower of Jesus and you kind of don't get the Bible and why they kill those animals, that's so useless. Did you ever think maybe that was supposed to be a picture of something? That every time somebody sinned, they had to take it out on some kind of sacrifice? Did you ever think that, that maybe that was all pointing to what Jesus would come and do and be that final sacrifice for you and I? Lastly, I think what it means here is, and, and this is like, I just wish we could get this, that Jesus became the place, I know, he's a person, but Jesus became the place where God judged sin. If you've ever been into New York City and you see Ground Zero, right, especially before it was rebuilt and there's just a big crater, that was the place where everything went down, where, where you know, there was just emptiness and that was, it was Ground Zero, right? Guys, Jesus was Ground Zero, for the judgment of God. You ever think about like, oh, God's so unfair. Why, why does he let that happen? Why does he let this happen? He shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have allowed that. If he was good, he wouldn't have done that. Guys, ground zero of judgment he took out on his son instead of you and I. And so Jesus became sin. But it doesn't end there. You see, there's another became in this sentence so that something could happen, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It doesn't say so that we can become righteous. No, somehow, and I can't even explain this the right way, somehow you and I, if we're in a relationship with Jesus, have actually become part of the righteousness of God. Somehow we're like, not only not seen as sinners and as dirty and as unworthy, but we are seen as part of his righteousness. And so you think about sin and you think about how it was taken out on him. Can I just ask you a question? Next time Satan whispers in your ear, don't you think, don't you think it would lessen what Jesus did at the cross for you or I to sit there in guilt and shame. It's like, it's like me going out to dinner with my dad and my dad pays the bill and then I try to pay on top of it. It's like, it's like him looking at me going, Doug, I already paid you. Yeah, but, but I feel bad, so I'm just gonna try and add a little bit more 
you know, I, I know you took care of it, but, but I just, I just want to add a little bit more because, I, you know, I just feel funny. That's what you and I do. Jesus, I know you died for me, but I'm just going to sit here and feel like a piece of garbage because, man, I just really messed up. Now, I, I'm not saying we don't repent, but there's a difference between God, forgive me, help me to walk a new way now, and, yeah, man, I don't have any right to a relationship with God. He doesn't want me. He doesn't love me. I'll never change. I'll never get to where I so badly want to be. Two very different things. And so what Paul is trying to help people understand is, look, the old is gone, the new is come. You're not 1.0, you're 2.0 in a relationship with Jesus. And now you're right with him. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the God who pursued you and made you his friend when you didn't even want to be. And so let me ask you a question. If that's how you become right with God and righteous with God, then can you wake up tomorrow morning and go, I wonder if I'm right today. I wonder if Tuesday, I don't know if I'm, I'm righteous anymore. Now certainly we can get ourselves into some situations where we need to come to God and repent and we need to ask him to, to be our strength and change us, but, but ultimately, guys, you and I, despite our failings and our continued failings, are the righteousness of God. We are right with him. And so I think about the breastplate of righteousness and I think about how the armor would go on. It would come from the neck down to the thighs and even go around the back, ultimately guarding the heart, right? I don't know about you, but when I think about my own sinfulness, often my heart feels dirty. My heart feels unclean. My heart doesn't feel right. Well, here's God going, let me protect your heart with, with the breastplate of righteousness. Let me, let me place righteousness right over that heart that often feels so ashamed. And I think too about, you know, if you were gonna identify yourself, like say you went to some kind of conference or something, like you'd put a sticker on, you know, and, and here I am, man, Doug Jansen, here I am. I'm walking around the whole conference, Doug Jansen, Doug Jansen, hi, Doug Jansen, here I am, and, and this is identifying me. Some of you guys, you have shirts on, you know, sports teams you love and, and bands you love and logos and stores you shop in and, you know, music artists you like, and, and it's just, I, here I am, man, this is what I'm about. It's right here. You can see what I'm about right here, right? And you know what? I think it's no mistake that it's kind of like God puts a label across our chest. Righteous. Righteous. I'm just identifying my kids, man. That's, that's what God's saying. I'm just identifying them with the breastplate of righteousness so everybody can see them coming. Yeah, yeah, I know they're, they're still not perfect yet. I get that. But, but I tell you what, I made them righteous. I made them right. I made them my friend. And so Satan whispers in your ear, and you begin, rather than just get beat up, rather than just get knocked down, rather than just kind of go with the flow, you instead say, no, wait. I'm, I'm the righteousness of God. I, I'm right with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Satan, I did do that when I was 18. Yeah. But I'm righteous before God. Yeah, I did do that this morning. Yes, I did say that. Yes, I, that thought did run through my head. Yes, I shouldn't have reacted that way, but, but I am right before my God and by his strength I can grow and continue to change 
And so I think we see this amazing, amazing truth that's gotta become a weapon. See, if you leave here tonight going, yeah, Doug, I knew I was right before God. I knew I was righteous. But so often we just know it. And so we get beat up when Satan comes. It's like a, it's like a soldier going to, ar- going to war, right? And he's got his breastplate and he's got his shield and he's got all his stuff and he puts it back in his tent. He's like, oh yeah, I knew the attack was coming and I knew I had all that stuff, but I just didn't use it. And so you and I, we've got to use it because it costs Jesus too much to sit there continually in our shame and in our guilt and in our regret and our remorse. And so what I hope you guys are seeing, I hope what what Paul was saying is shining through, and that's this, that Jesus became sin so that you could be right with him. Jesus became sin so that you could become right with him. Not dependent on performance and ups and downs and good days and bad days and good swings and bad swings and but dependent on one thing alone, and that's what Jesus did for you. And so when Satan comes and whispers in your ear, when he tries to put a label across your chest that says pervert, addict, uh, you know, angry, jealous, fearful, gossip, you bring back the truth. You say righteous. Unworthy, yeah. Undeserving, yes. I was an enemy of God, yes, but but he reconciled me. And so now I'm right before my God because Jesus became sin so that you and I could be right with him. Will you use that as a weapon? Don't just know it. It's not enough to know it. Use that as a weapon. The next time Satan whispers in your ear, you use that. You bring that back out. You even admit, hey man, you know, I'm weak and I'm broken and I, of my own strength, it's true. But ultimately, I am right with my God. And nothing, 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 nothing can change that. Let's pray. God, we just are so blessed and, and humbled We're so thankful, God, that you have made us something we could never make ourselves, God. And and God, even just forgive us for not grasping this enough. Forgive us, God, for not understanding the weight of what you have done for us enough, God. And we pray that you would reveal more of it and more of it and more of it to us, Lord. God, I pray, I mean, there'd be no greater thing, I think, for us to understand than what we talked about tonight. There'd, no be, there'd be no better formula or, or strategy to overcoming sin than to understand that you became sin so we could become right with you. And so God, I pray for your help with that. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you spend some time right now thinking about the labels the enemy tries to put on you, thinking about the little whispers, the little things that come in your ear about being unworthy and about the things you did and about the guilt and the regret and the remorse and how you'll never change. And right now, man, hey, we're at battle. Bring the truth back. And what's the truth? Jesus died for you. Jesus became sin. Jesus made you righteous. You belong to him. Your performance doesn't dictate that. And as you walk with him, you will change and you will grow. But that's gonna be him at work in you and not you at work in you. And so bring the truth to him.
Praise God. When Satan whispers, you praise. When Satan whispers, you, you, you just, you say, shut up. I'm the child of God. I am saved by him and I belong to him and my identity is him. Because Jesus became sin so that I could be right with him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you heard amazing news tonight and that news is that you have been forgiven. That whether you find yourself as too far lost or too good to need Jesus, that I'll tell you, and I'm not trying to offend you, I'm just trying to tell you the truth that I had to come to in my own life because I've spent a lot of time in legalism thinking I was good enough and I'm, you know, I'm pretty much got this. And I'll tell you, both, both sides are equally as lost without a Savior, good and bad. You need him. And he loves you, whether you think you're too good or you think you're too bad. And he wants to know you and he wants to forgive you and he wants to begin to change your heart. And so if you want a relationship with Jesus, I'd encourage you to pray something like this, just quietly, you and him. Jesus, thank you that the old can go and the new can come. And I understand that means I won't be perfect, but it means I'm forgiven. It means I'm right with you. And it means you'll change me. And so God, please help me. Show me how real you are. And I thank you that this is a gift from you. And that tonight, despite my performance, I'm your friend. Because you reconciled me to you.